right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to talk about Michael Porter Jr. today. As we get into the second of our player kind of previews slash reviews over the course of this past year, I did Jamal Murray's last week and just decided, hey, let's continue with the players that didn't really play last year. Let's focus on MPJ. He's a very interesting piece and obviously a very pivotal piece for what the Nuggets are trying to do. So I'm excited to talk about him. I'm excited to share my thoughts, my opinions, and kind of the the pivot points, I think, for what MPJ's career and what his season specifically is going to look like. First, I'm going to talk about where he was at before the injury, what he was looking like, what he was doing during this last season and before. And then I'm going to talk about what I think he's going to look like after the injury, how I think he's going to respond and what the the general plan is going to be for him. Lastly, we'll talk about kind of the fork in the road for him at, at this point in his career, because he could still go down a variety of paths. Not really sure which one he will, but I think there's still a lot of outcomes for him and we're just not really sure what he is yet. So going to talk about those different scenarios. But first, let's go through where he was at before the injury. We've got the stats. 61 out of 72 games in 2020-21. I'm more going to focus on that year because I think it's pretty clear that at the beginning of this last year, 21-22, he only played nine games and he was clearly hampered for much of it. So I think it's better for everybody just to focus on when he was last healthy, what he looked like, how he played. During that season, 2021, he missed 10 games due to COVID, health and safety protocols, and then he missed one for rest at the end of the season. He never actually missed any games due to back soreness, never actually missed any games due to the back injury that he had been uh, sidelined for. Obviously, he lost two years of his career, uh, his freshman season of college and his first season with the Nuggets due to that back, the back surgeries and the recovering from that process. And then he lost this last season because the pain just became too great and he could not play and it was just bothering him too much. So he got it repaired, got it fixed. But before that, in between that, he spent one year coming off the bench very much trying to get out of Michael Malone's doghouse for much of that season. But then the next season, 2021, he averaged 19 points, 7.3 rebounds, 1.1 assists. That's pretty low. 54% from the field, 44.5% from three, 79% from the line. Still averaged 0.7 steals, 0.9 blocks. And the kicker, 66% true shooting plus 3.1 box, plus minus. Those are absurd numbers. I don't think it's really fully appreciated just how absurd those numbers were. Michael Porter was finishing at the level of a uh, Charles Barkley in the lane, finishing at the rim, doing what he was doing, being dominant as a six foot ten small forward, finishing over smaller players. But then he was also combining that by shooting like Steph Curry or Klay Thompson on the perimeter, doing so consistently. And it was unbelievable to watch. He was 
an enigma. There's nobody quite like him in the NBA because he has such a unique skill set where he can take advantage of that size, but not even guys like Kevin Durant or, I don't know, Paul George were shooting to the level that he shot in his second season of his career. His true shooting percentage was the highest of 14 second-year players in NBA history that averaged at least 20% usage, 60% true shooting. His true shooting was highest of a group that includes Nikola Jokic, Shaquille O'Neal, David Robinson, Charles Barkley, Zion Williamson, and some others. That's a really, really prestigious group, especially some bigs, because it's just very rare for a player of his size to shoot the ball from the outside the way that he does. And that was a big, big deal for the Nuggets. They lucked into that. Of course, that year wasn't without speed bumps. He struggled to figure out what his place was in that starting unit for the first two months of the season or so. Defense was obviously still an issue, though that I think that was more of a playoff problem than it was a regular season problem. Like, Denver could get by. He could get by. It just became a problem when the Phoenix Suns targeted him over and over again. And the offense in the playoffs, I think it was still bothered by the ball pressure, by the physicality, and I think maybe so perhaps more than the usual young player. Because let's face it, young guys, when they get into the physical environment that is the playoffs, some of them respond pretty well. I would say the majority of them don't necessarily do that well in a playoff environment. And so they take their lumps, and they improve, and they get better. They become veterans. They understand what opposing teams are going to try to do to them. I really do think that Porter was in that phase, not necessarily the one where he's always going to be bothered by that, where he's always going to struggle in those situations. A lot of those were just going to be him learning the ropes, figuring it out. That's just what young players do. Some of my favorite moments from MPJ over the course of those first two years that he played with Denver. The Indiana game in on January 2nd, 2019, I remember the exact day, he scored 25 points. Those highlights are unbelievable in that particular game. He's got the the very close haircut that he has that almost looks like it's it's sharpied on to his uh to his scalp. And he just plays an incredible offensive game. I think he was 11 of 12 or 12 of 13 from the field or something absurd like that. But he had 25 points and hit Doug McDermott with one of the most dirty step backs that you could absolutely get hit with. He was in the mid-range and stepped back about four feet to the side for a three. It was incredible and nothing but bottom. His level of shooting and his level of dynamic play, I think, was put on display in that moment. And then you really have to fast forward, I think, to the Clippers game five, where he had those good bubble moments. Don't get me wrong. Actually, it was January 2nd, 2020. Now that I'm thinking about it, excuse me. Uh, January 2nd, 2020 was the Indiana game because that was the 2019-20 season. But Clippers game five is where I really focus in on what he's doing because he got benched 
against the Utah Jazz back in game four of that series. And he actually played reasonably well in that series, especially from an offensive perspective. Defensively, he was kind of a mess a lot of the time, but it's honestly to be expected. But the Clippers game five was one that really stands out. He had, I think, like he was playing like 30, 35 minutes in that game. And the Nuggets were up. They were down initially, but they then got up in that game and were just clinging on to a lead. And it looked like the lead was slipping through their fingers. And Jokic just throws the ball over to MPJ, kind of as a pressure release. Not necessarily. Like, this is one minute left in the game. Throws him the ball. Doesn't expect him to shoot it. MPJ takes one look at Lou Williams in front of him, who's six foot one, and just chucks up a three right over the top of his forehead. And it hit nothing but net. It was unbelievable because I think everybody was going, no, 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 no. And then he hit the shot. And then on the other end, he got the block against Avisa Zubac. And a clutch rebound after that. He was showcasing what he could be in that moment. And his battles with Kyle Kuzma in the next series after that, I think, showcased that as well. The next season, where he really started to kind of take shape. The one game that really stands out was the Dallas game where he came off the bench. Following the extended stint that he had with COVID, he came off the bench for a couple games. And then the third game back that he had, he was facing Dallas, and he dropped 30 on him. And there's one clip right at the end of his last three where he catches the ball on the corner, and you hear the color commentator on the Dallas side going, oh, no, oh, no because he knew exactly what was going to happen. That is the level of fear that Michael Porter Jr. can generate as a shooter because they know what's going to happen whenever he takes takes an open shot. It's going to hit the bottom. And sometimes it's even contested when he hits the shot. The next game that I think back on fondly was the Boston game when he went 0 of 9 from the field. That game was kind of the wake-up call, I think, for everybody within the Nuggets, including Porter, of course. Like, he was really struggling up until that point. The Nuggets were just, they were kind of in a tough place where Jokic was healthy and playing well, Murray was healthy and playing well, but Porter was not. And the rest of the team was kind of hurt at that point. I think they were starting Zeke Naji in that game and Faku Campazzo next to Murray. So things weren't great. And then Porter had that game, and it was a game from hell. But ultimately, what that led to was Porter kind of refocusing. I think Michael Malone, whether he approached him, whether he was approached by somebody else, Michael Malone, I think, eased up on him and said, hey, look, just get back to the basics, rebound, hit the open shots. The shots will come. It was very similar to what he had happen with Jamal Murray back when he was a rookie. And Jamal started his career 0 of 17. And Michael Malone said, the shots will come. And obviously that moment is long history. But MPJ bounced back and he used that game, I think, as strong motivation because I think that was the lowest point. That was the nadir where he dropped to that threshold. And then all he could do was rise at that point. 
and he could he definitely rose. Denver had their best moments with him on the rise where he was scoring 20 plus most every game. He was scoring efficiently. Murray and Jokic were doing their thing. After Jamal went down, there was a game against Houston where MPJ dropped 37 and it just felt like he was in complete control. It was awesome. Like he got into his spots. He was very much in rhythm. And it just, like everything worked. And you could see the vision of what he and Jokic could do together. And that sort of manifested in the first round against Portland, where he had that shot in triple overtime in game five to seal that win. It was the epic pass that Jokic threw to the corner right over Robert Covington's outstretched arm where he falls to the ground. And MPJ hits the shot right in front of Zach Collins on the Portland bench. It was awesome. And then game six, that first quarter where he drops 22. 22 points. It was unbelievable. Who does that? Very few people. Very few people that young have ever done that in a playoff game. Jamal Murray is actually one of them. And those two, I think they have that in common where when they get hot, it's just awesome. It's just unbelievable to watch. And MPJ got hot at the right time in an elimination game or a closeout game. That was such a big deal. Obviously, the vibes were pretty low for MPJ since the beginning of this past season, how he really fell apart from a a scoring and shooting perspective. These first, these nine games that he played during the 21 22 season, not great. And then right before that, his playoff experience, it kind of wrapped up against Phoenix and then that sweep. And he was one of the players that was just more affected than anybody. And so I think that's the last memory that every Nuggets fan has of Michael Porter Jr. playing. And because of that, I think the vibe was a little bit different from Murray, where the last memory you have of Murray was him playing really well before he went down. The last memory of MPJ was him struggling before he went down. But I think you have to give MPJ the benefit of the doubt. He's still young, still trying to figure it out. He's played 125 regular season games and 29 playoff games. It's not even two full seasons. Even if you combine them together, He was a legit superstar prospect when he came out. But superstar prospects, they just need time. They're not going to be superstars immediately. Nobody is. You have to have time. You have to be able to get into the swing of things. And only then will you be able to realize that talent, that potential that you have. So I think when Porter comes back, Nuggets fans are going to get that pleasant surprise. where He gets back on the court. And he drops 20 points, 25 points pretty easily. Like 25 points on 10 of 13 shooting. And Denver wins by 25 against a good team. And everybody's going to be like, oh, so that's what that's like. That's crazy. We forgot what that was like. And it's going to be good. The vibes are going to get back to normal. And I am so excited for that to happen. When we come back. We are going to talk about post-injury, 
how Michael Porter is going to be impacted for next season. We'll be right back. But first, this podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by Superbook Sports. Summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports. Along with its usual vast betting menu, Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at Superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to get yourself thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet. Start winning today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always, both on this program and also on Twitter. Had a weird interaction over the weekend, and it was nice to see everybody kind of come to my defense. That was uh, that was very nice, very cool, and definitely appreciated. All right, let's get back into the podcast where MPJ has been mostly good in his time in a Nuggets uniform been mostly very helpful, and Nuggets fans greatly appreciate that. They're excited for him to come back. But the question is, what's he going to do when he comes back? How's he going to look? Can Denver trust him? I think it's very fair to think about that from a a team perspective. How can you trust that kind of guy that's been out for two seasons worth of games? Now, here's the thing. His role at the beginning of the season He's still going to be the starting forward. I think it's pretty clear that is Denver's plan, that if he's healthy, he's going to play. How much he plays, I'm not really sure. What I've heard, what I understand, is that there will be some minutes limits and some maintenance. That's just how it's got to work for him, especially as he comes back, because it's just too important to what the Nuggets are wanting to do. I think he needs to accept a minutes limit and accept maintenance days for the time being. So that means missing 15 to 20 games. That means not playing back-to-backs, at least at the beginning. That means probably 25 minutes to start the season. Maybe get to 30, and then 32, and if you're lucky, 34, 35 by the end of the season. But the hope is, is that Denver doesn't need to play him that much that they have a good enough team that they don't have to have it play 35 minutes a night in order to win, in order to be successful. The Nuggets should still be good enough. Like they had 48 wins with Nikola Jokic by himself. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter, they come back. Can you just add 10 wins to that because they're back? Probably not. But Denver did get better in a lot of respects. So I think there's reason to believe that they don't need Michael Porter to play 82 games in 34 minutes. They need him to play what he can play and what he should play in order to keep him healthy and ready for the playoffs. And I think that's going to be about 62 games and 30 minutes a night. That's fine. Now, the bigger question in my mind, because I think that's pretty that much is pretty much a given 
for the role. Does his injury mostly make him a standstill shooter? Is he more Danilo Gallinari? Or can he still play like, not Kevin Durant, but Paul George? Or, I don't know, name another tall shooter. Probably not Jason Tatum, but somebody of that ilk. Where he does some creation, where he does some movement. And can score off the dribble a little bit too. Does his injury cost him that? Or can he still move well enough to create shots? Can he still move well enough off the ball to take advantage of Jokic as a passer to cuts or to transition opportunities or moving off of screens, finding opportunities around the perimeter? Jokic does a great job with that. If MPJ can do all of those things, then I don't think there will be an issue. If he's a little bit hindered, that could be a problem. But the real kicker here is the impact. Because what we've seen so far from MPJ's career is that when he's on the court, the Nuggets just have an unstoppable offense. They are unbelievable when he and Jokic specifically are on the floor. If he's serving as the third scoring option on this team, Denver's going to be legit on a consistent basis. In 154 career games, that's 125 regular season and 29 playoffs, MPJ has scored 20 plus 41 times. That's over 20, or yeah, it's over 25% of the time. Back in the 2020-21 season, the year where he started and played most of his games and didn't really get hurt, he scored 20 plus 30 times out of 61 games. That is 50%. That is half the time. And if you get to a place where you can count on him scoring 20 plus half the time, average that out to about 19, 20 points a game, then he is going to be the best third option on a contender at least as a scorer, best scoring third option. Here's the points per game last year for third options on various contenders. On the Boston Celtics, you had Marcus Smart, who averaged 12.1 points. Now, they had the best defense, so they didn't need a guy who could score that much. But Philly, Tyrese Maxey, 17.5. Miami, Bam Adebayo, 19.1. Milwaukee, Drew Holiday, 18.3. Golden State, Jordan Poole, 18.5. Phoenix with Chris Paul, 14.7. And Memphis with Desmond Bain, 18.2. The Clippers were a little bit weird. They had such a disjointed uh, group that I can't really count them, but Norman Powell will also be a very good scorer for that team. But I think you can argue, just by looking at that list, that Michael Porter could be the most potent scorer Of all of them. Like Jordan Poole's dynamic when he wants to be. Don't get me wrong. Tyrese Maxey still has a lot of potential. But Porter stumbles into 20. He just doesn't have to try too hard in order to find opportunities to be efficient and be productive. I don't have any questions about the scoring. I think if he's healthy, he's a natural born scorer. He will be fine. Well, I do have questions about, can he be strong enough 
on the defensive end? Can he have enough impact on there to be trustable, especially in a playoff environment? Can he be more of a playmaker than he was? Because 1.1 assists is not good enough. He's going to have to improve a little bit as a passer. Going to have to improve a little bit as a defender. I think defense is probably, actually, playmaking might be likely. But I think they're both reasonable. They're both reasonable asks. He just has to get moderately better in each category. And that's sort of what you expect from a 24-year-old player anyway. So I think that's fair. I really do. Stats expectations for him are basically around the same, though. I would expect about 18 to 20 points per game. About two assists, let's say, as opposed to one. I think he puts himself into a position where he's more involved. Last year, or the year that he started, uh, he was playing next to Will Barton a lot of the time, Gary Harris some of the time, but mostly Will Barton. So he was the, like Will Barton was the secondary playmaker for sure. Now, you're playing next to Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, who's more of a 3 and D guy. They might have MPJ handle the ball just a little bit more. And so we'll see what that looks like, but maybe it's Aaron Gordon who takes on more of a playmaking role. Not really sure. But I think he can still average seven rebounds a game, 52% from the field, 42% from three, 80% from the line. If he did that, that'd be fantastic. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And then as close to one steal and one block per game as he possibly can. He was at 0.7 steals, 0.9 blocks. I'm pretty sure the last time that he played a bunch of minutes. So if he could get to one and one, that would be great. That's good production in those minutes, especially from a forward. In the playoffs, though, that's going to be the real kicker. Because everybody knows that he can score in the regular season. But he has seen his points drop in the playoffs. And he needs to be able to show that he can score enough to stay on the floor. Because if he can't score enough, then you look at his defensive issues. You think, okay, well, we could play Bruce Brown. I'm talking from Michael Malone's perspective here. Michael Malone could just as easily say, we could play Bruce Brown to also not score, but to potentially play better defense. And that's probably fair. I think Bruce Brown probably cuts into his minutes a little bit, especially against the best teams. Some of that, though, I think that's more of a reflection of the team that they have and of the teams that they'd be facing. Like Golden State, for example, if they go to the Curry, Thompson, Jordan Poole lineup, there isn't really anybody for Michael Porter to guard. Maybe if he guards Andrew Wiggins, maybe that's fair, and put Gordon on one of the guards. But that's also been shown not to be great. If it's against Phoenix, can he guard Jay Crowder? Sure. Would Denver be better if they had more switchability and put Aaron Gordon on Jay Crowder? Absolutely. I think he's going to have to figure it out. Denver's going to have to play that game, and it's going to be tough. A lot of it will just depend on if MPJ can score enough to sort of make it a moot point. I do trust Jokic and Murray to do their part, though. Like, there's no reason to think that Murray will not be back to his normal self at that point. So I think you could say 24, 25 points a night for Murray. For Jokic, it's probably about the same. Maybe even more. 
So I trust Jokic and Murray to do their part, put up at least 50 points between them. If MPJ can add 20 to that, Denver's in a great place because Bones, he's going to get his numbers off the bench. Gordon, KCP, Bruce Brown, they'll find at least 20 points between the three of them. If they don't, then that's probably a little sketchy, but I think it's very fair that MPJ's scoring and his ability to stay on the court, that could be the difference between Denver winning a championship or not. Like, I believe in Murray just as much as anybody, but I'm not sure if he can do all of the second scoring by himself. He's going to have to have some opportunities. And Denver, honestly, in their starting lineup with KCP and Gordon there, they're going to need a third guy to really take some pressure off of the top two. If if Porter can do that, that'll make it so much easier for everybody else. means that Gordon can focus on defense. means that KCP can focus on defense. They don't have to think about everything as much on the offensive end, knowing that they're being taken care of by Denver's top three scorers. That's what you're hoping for. That's what Denver is hoping for. I think it's fair to question whether they can do that and whether that's the right course of action due to the health. But I also know that they don't really have another choice. This is the hand that they've been dealt. This is what they need Porter to be. And so you've got to play him less. You've got to make sure that he's healthy. You've got to make sure that you're managing things, but also putting him into a situation where he feels empowered to do that. Denver's going to have to cater a little bit. Michael Malone is going to have to figure it out. Because if you get everybody going the same direction by postseason this time around, Denver's going to look really good. Let's take a final break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the forks in the road for Michael Porter Jr.'s career. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Final segment here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let's wrap it up with talking about the forks in the road. Michael Porter Jr., he has a lot of different scenarios, I think, that everybody believes that he could be. Whether he's the top dog on a championship team, whether he's out of the league by this time three years from now. I think everything is mostly on the table with him, which makes him one of the most important players in the entire NBA. Because his trajectory is going to impact so much. And I see, I think, let's go with four likely primary pathways forward for him. There are different ways that his career could go. There are four that I think are the most likely. And here's the most likely of those four. I think Michael Porter Jr. will be forced to become a star in his role by his back injury. What that means is that he needs to be the best player that he can be while maybe not taking on the most responsibility, maybe not taking on the most usage. There's only so much that a guy like him can do in those situations. And as a result, I think it's very likely that he has to be the third best player or fourth best player on a championship team 
for the majority of his career. He could still be in the starting lineup in those cases, but I think that is probably the most likely scenario where it's going to look a lot like what it looked like in 2021, where you've got your top two guys, the top two guys that you believe in. One of them's an MVP candidate, another, at least a borderline all-star. I think Murray would be an all-star in most years. And he looked to that as a potential opportunity for him to evolve into that third or fourth best option. And that's a very important role. It's not like it isn't important. Look at the Warriors. Where would they be if Jordan Poole didn't go off the way that he did against the Nuggets? They might not have made it out of the first round. Andrew Wiggins stepped up in the way that he did against the Boston Celtics in the championship. And that was such a big deal. If they didn't have that, they wouldn't be champions. MPJ can do that. He can be those players. He can be more, which is why he has different pathways. But it also feels like he could be less, which means maybe the best course of action for him is to focus on being the best player within his role that he can and not necessarily looking to do much more than that. That's fine. If you have a guy who averages for his entire career 18 points per game on 42% from three, that's a really good number. It's a really good number. So I'd be happy with that if I were a Nuggets fan, because Denver at least already has the other structure around him where they can still win a title even with that. But what it means to be a star in his role is that he's not necessarily going to be on the court all the time. There will be opportunities where the rest of the team has to finish games, has to play important minutes with him sitting on the bench. He can't be plan A in this situation. So if that's the case for Denver, they have to have a plan B, or at least another option that they truly trust in. I think Bruce Brown represents that, but they might even need more than that. Maybe it's Zeke Naji. It's probably got to be better than Jeff Green. That I believe. Next up, I think the next most likely scenario is Michael Porter Jr. being forced out of the starting lineup entirely. Whether it's his back, uh, whether it's just the in and out nature of the lineup where teams are just frustrated that he can't stay on the court and they don't believe that they can trust him in those situations. And so what that would most likely look like is him transitioning into a primary bench role where he becomes a higher usage bench scorer and kind of converts into more of a sixth man. Now, I don't really believe in that pathway. I think he's too talented for that. But hypothetically, if you know that he's only going to play or that he should play just like 20 to 25 minutes a night, and that is the best way to keep him healthy, then it might make sense for him to come off the bench. It might make sense for him to be the higher usage guy in those minutes while still trying to build another foundation within the starting unit. There's definitely reasoning for that. Now, I don't think that's going to happen with Denver, 
Hypothetically, though, if it did, it would be really tough. Really, really tough for the Nuggets because the money that he's making is not sixth man money. It is second or third star kind of money. And Denver, they'd be kind of up a creek if that were the case. They would have to get really lucky in some other scenarios. They'd have to find a better 3 and D option to start in his place. An OG and an OB type, if you will. That might not come, though. It's very hard to find players like that. But if that's the case, then Denver, they have to take some swings. And you've seen them draft guys like Christian Brown, Peyton Watson. They focused on adding to their depth at the wing position. It's not an accident. Denver knows that their best chance is to really solidify the wing because they've got guys that they trust already and you can just cycle out the other pieces. If one of those pieces happens to be Michael Porter Jr., it would be very disappointing, but not necessarily surprising, which is why I think it's the second most likely outcome. Third most likely outcome is Michael Porter Jr. getting fully healthy. And what that looks like is a lot of fun. It's where he realizes his full potential, gets to see just how much he can push himself. Because you get to a certain threshold where with him scoring 19 points per game on the the efficiency that he had, you would like to see him push up his shot totals a little bit. See if he can score more and more and more to the point where other teams, they just have to go out of their way to try to shut him down. Maybe he's the first option that they have to slow if you're the Nuggets. If he's averaging 27 points a night, would anybody really be surprised if he's, like, let's say it's his age 26 season, age 27 season, and he's in the prime of his career, he's fully kicked the back, and he has manifested into the player that people believe that he could be, though it took him some time to get there. That's a scenario that I think is on the table. And if that happened with Denver, then you're, you're looking at a potential dynasty with the Nuggets because they already have the most talented offensive player at the NBA in Nikola Jokic. If Michael Porter realizes his potential, he becomes the second best player. And that pushes Jamal Murray to a third best player role. Now, whether he is okay with that or not remains to be seen. I think he would be fine. I think if Denver's winning and they're just playing good basketball, I think that would probably be okay. But there's also a possibility that that pushes Murray out. And then Denver is a Jokic and MPJ team. Maybe they replace Murray with Bones Highland. And they feel fine about that. I don't know. I wouldn't feel fine about that personally, but I can see a scenario where Denver has enough scoring that they're willing to stomach something like that. And the only way that they could is if MPJ got to the level where he was making all-star games over Murray. And that's on the table. I won't say it isn't. The fourth most likely scenario I think probably the the last fork in the road is that Michael Porter gets healthy, but he never truly improves. He never truly gets to that place 
where the Nuggets can feel like they can commit to him again. Whether it's the defense, whether it's not understanding the Jokic offense, whether it's his shooting regressing back to a normal human level, there are reasons to believe that even if Michael Porter Jr. gets healthy, his last season as a healthy one was more of a flash in the pan as opposed to what people should expect all the time. Now, I don't believe that. I think that it's more likely that he's just a dominant player and that if he gets on the court, then he's going to be a star. But it is also possible that he never fully gets to that level again. And he's just in the 17, 18 point per game range, never really believes or never really extends his defensive responsibilities to being good enough to be a championship caliber player. And if that's the case, Denver could trade him. I think that's probably the biggest ramification if he gets to that level. Because I think other teams could trust themselves to think that, okay, he's an elite scorer, not necessarily thinking it out from the uh, playmaking and defensive perspective, but if he proves he's healthy, all teams are going to believe that they could want that level of score. They believe that he could be more in a different situation. I definitely think that that's on the table too. So we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see what he looks like. I think that all of these scenarios are on the table. Again, I think the most likely one is that he's kind of forced into a star in his role scenario where it's more of the 10 to 14 shots a game as opposed to the star level of kind of 14 plus shots per game, 16 plus shots per game. But I think that it's likely that he succeeds in that role because he doesn't need much. He's already proven just how good he can be in the role that Denver outlined for him in his second season. Now he's going to get into his age 24 season, and I can't wait to see whether he can realize that potential, whether he can get back on the court and show that it wasn't just a flash in the pan, that he was a legitimate impact player. He, that's on the table too. Like It clearly is. And if he gets to that level, then the Nuggets have a lot to be thankful for. And they have a lot to be excited about going forward. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support, as always. I will be back with another divisional preview. And I'm going to do that, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, probably Wednesday morning, wake up and record that. And then on Friday, I've got a guest lined up, so should be a lot of fun on that. We are going to talk about the Rockies a little bit. Oh, goody. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon.